Welcome, I'm Bastet. I'll be running your operation. The project's official name is the Adventurer's Research of Abnormal Civilian Experiences, or Project Arrowace for short, to investigate the unusual occurrences that have been happening everywhere recently. I've hired you all for your hands-on experiences. I'm going to be honest, I think we should run. I don't know, I'm not a wizard in real life. Tentacles belong in the ocean! I also lost all my food, so Delphi, in a few hours you might start looking really delicious. Okay. (laughs) You can't just kind of hand wave and say, oh yes, it's clearly from another plane of reality, without that implying a lot about a very powerful wizard doing it, or a university of powerful wizards doing it, or a god doing it. It lets us know that when these other anomalies have been happening, it's potentially due to the use of temporal or spatial magic. Who are you? I saw you in some kind of dream, but I think there's more to it than that. We need to talk. I can't tell you exactly why I did all the things I did, but I did them. Okay? Can everyone please roll for initiative? (laughs) I nearly cut so hard. I could hear you. Amazing. Welcome to Deck of Many Aces, an actual play podcast made with actual asexuals. I don't know what the next line is. We're a group of people who identify somewhere on the asexual or aromantic spectrum. Is that it? Playing a game of Diddy. Uh, yeah, we play D and D, but we're not doing that today. No, uh, <laughs> but you got to tell PCs. them the twist. You got to tell them the twist, the twist, Chloe. What's the twist? Yes, the twist is that each character's past, present, and future is based on a card drawn from the deck of many things. Ooh. Uh, I am Chloe. I'm not a DM because we're not playing today. Uh, I'm a facilitator, I guess. Wow. <laughs> I use she, her pronouns. Uh, today, we are going to be discussing you our characters. You We're going to have... You use she, her what? pronouns today. <laughs> today only. But on Wednesdays, only I'm they, them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, today we are going to be recapping the story so far. We're going to be discussing our characters and giving you guys a little, a little nice little wrapped up present of uh, all the information you need to dive straight on in. Uh, and with me today is... That's a Rendezvous with Destiny one. But I'm using it. With me today, I have... Oh, hello, it's me. 
Um, I'm Am. I played Tosia Atherdale, the party battle master fighter. I'm so tired. I don't know who is next. I think it would be you. I think it's me. I think it's me. Um, hi, I'm Ellie. I use they, them, and she, her pronouns. And I am usually the DM, but I'm taking, I'm taking a, I'm a passenger princess in today's episode, which is great. I love Temporary that. Temporary abdication. It's very nice. Yeah. A temporary coup. Yeah. By yeah. me. <laughs> I think the baton will be passed to me at some point, but not for now. Never. It's mine now. Anyway. <laughs> I think that just leaves me. I'm Katie. I use she or they pronouns and I play, normally play Morgan, who is a tiefling wizard. Yes, Ariel can't be here tonight, unfortunately, um, but uh, they use she, her and they them pronouns and Ariel plays Delphi, the Grove Folk Warlock, which is a homebrew race. She's a tree person. Ariel has a very tall tree completely. person. Yes, a tree person. Absolutely. So why don't we start with a nice little recap of all the story so far? And this is really fun for those of you that may or may not have heard the podcast before. But also if, like me, you engage with media in a way that although you really enjoy it, you, you sometimes just immediately forget it. I was going to say, to be fair, like when I was first writing this, I was like, oh, you know, I will, I'll, I'll give people a timestamp that they can skip to if they don't want to listen to the recap. But I fully had to go back and listen to episodes to remind myself what has happened. And I wrote this. I would listen if, even if you are, if you're, especially if you're a long time listener, because it's and been definitely if you're a member of the cast. Of this podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We need way- to remember our own history. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I didn't I didn't mention that. I I'm Chloe. I I play Raina. Oh my god, Chloe. <laughs> I didn't mention who I played. Uh I I, I mentioned my name. I play Raina Riftwood, who is a tabaxi bard and now also a rogue. Little multi-class there. Um this is already carnage. I believe this Ellie is... has a nice little recap. I, I do the same level as carnage as a normal day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is pretty normal to be fair. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Ellie, take right. it away. Yeah, I will, I will, I will. So, previously on Deck of Many Aces, dun, dun, dun. we begin in Atlas <laughs> Orbis, home of the Catgirls, or Catgirl City as it is sometimes named. Four intrepid adventurers are gathered to work for a government agency, the Adventurers' Research of Abnormal Civilian Experiences, or Project Arrow Ace for short. <laughs> Same yes, brain. yes. Pun- punnery abounds. The team is made up of Tazia Athdale. I was expecting Am to cheer then, but I hear nothing from her, so. Oh, yay! <laughs> Tazia Athdale, lukewarm silence. Um, Taz is a young heiress. We love her. Yeah, she's great. She's a young heiress warrior, keen to prove herself and carry out her late mother's wishes. We have Raina Riftwood. That's me. That's you. A a tabaxi bard swept from her own time into the future under mysterious circumstances. Who's searching for her younger brother. She got Captain America, but it's totally a unique... Yeah, she she got legally distinct storied. Yeah, I don't carry a shield. 
You don't carry a shield. We've got Delphinium, or Delphi for short, who is a grove folk, which is like we said, is like a tree person, whose career as a botanist has been overshadowed by the strange crystal she carries and the powers it bestows. So, um, brackets, she's a warlock. <laughs> and Morgan Serenity Aldridge. I think her name is also Waralta Calbeen and also, also Larkspur. So it many is. names. It is. Delphinium is a Larkspur. That's the, that's the Latin name for Larkspur. Right. And then Waralta Calbeen, I think, is her name in the language of Growfolk people. Yeah, that sounds right. And then I think Delphinium is the, is the translation of it. And then Delphi for short. And Morgan Serenity Aldridge, the outcast child of an aristocratic tiefling family fallen on hard times, who is on sabbatical from her academic career as a time magic scientist. There's also a fact about Morgan that Katie never forgets to mention. Which is that she can fly. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. She also has a familiar who I definitely don't forget, ever. People considering making a PC that can fly, it comes in less use than you would think. Yeah, because the DM immediately goes, right, okay, I've got to factor this in for every scenario so that it doesn't become a completely broken character trait. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Also, I'll be honest, I forgot about green until about three quarters of the way through this recap, and you can tell. Yes, so we've got our four adventurers. Their boss, who is a tabaxi called Bastet, uh, explains to them that the known world has seen an uptick in strange happenings and they have been hired to investigate. Their first stop, some crystal monoliths known as the Eternal Shards, where a child was seen floating several many, feet many in the feet. air. Many, many feet. Many, many high feet in the air. Uh, when they arrive, the child is nowhere to be seen, and no one seems that bothered about it, to be honest. Our heroes end up defending a nearby town from beasts seemingly appearing at random from other planes of existence. When they head back to Catgirl City, Morgan gets in touch with an academic called Dr. Delaware, hoping to find some answers to this weird planar business. A few days later, she hears back from his assistant, telling her that, unfortunately, Dr. Delaware has been murdered. Meanwhile, Raina visits her old captain, who's now an old man, and he explains it has been 70 years since she disappeared, and he hasn't seen her brother, Seth, since he retired some years ago. So the girls head to Clockwork City to try to solve Dr. Delaware's murder... They hitch a ride with a group of halfling gnomes called the Roaming Herds, and they're like um, artificers with these metallic horses that they use as mode of transport. Taz takes a shine to their leader, Tamara. Taz and Tamara sitting in a Very cute. Not doing anything because this is an ace podcast. Yeah. They're just sitting and holding hands, having a nice, cute time. I'm trying to think... There's blushing has more more letters than K I S G, but that's essentially what they're doing. <laughs> so en route, they are sidetracked by a city of fairy tale castles that has randomly As appeared. As one does. They wade in to deal with a hostage situation, which turns out to be a time-based misunderstanding. Iona, a Loxodon warrior who went missing in this area a decade ago, is arguing with Vega Camarius, an elven businessman whose castle-building venture isn't due to begin for another ten years. 
It becomes clear that they've both been displaced from their times and it isn't obvious how to put them back. The castles begin to shake and the party retrieve Iona but have to leave Vega behind as he's fallen victim to the glare of one of his own pet Oh, basilisks. we tragically have to leave him behind in despite our best efforts. Whoa. <laughs> if I remember correctly, we were carrying his statue out. We chose to leave him. And then we're like, we decided we'll leave him. We, we actively If, if like, the area was him. going back to... Um, where it was from, when it was from. That, that we made would... an educated guess that we were like, if he dies, he dies. Uh, I mean, I think it was reasonable. And so the party's cavalier. It was a reasonable supposition that that was sent him back where he needs to go, but we won't find out for 10 years, lol. He was also an absolute word. I'm yeah, not to say that, was yeah, he was not a nice so... man. He was annoying. He's a slimy he little capitalist. As we all know, that that's a, the worst crime one can commit being slimy. <laughs> Metaphorically, you find you literally slimy. Boy, I was going to say slugs haven't done anything wrong. Yeah, slugs are cool. Capitalists, not so much. Sorry, Toz. Iona shares two letters with Tozia, written by her late mother, and one of them is familiar to her, but the other was never delivered, and it's not clear why. So that's a little, a little fun Toz tidbit. Finally in Clockwork City, the girls solve Dr. Delaware's murder with the help of Felicity, his student. It becomes clear that the culprit is Mara, a PhD student with a grudge, aided by the nefarious arms dealers, the Turin brothers. While investigating, Raina gets arrested for using charming magic, which is illegal in the city. I didn't mean to. Yes, accidentally. I'm accidentally charming. Raider didn't mean to. And therefore it's not a crime, right? Chloe definitely oh, did. Oh yeah, I meant to. <laughs> While Raina is locked up overnight, she dreams of the face of a centaur who she remembers, although where from is a mystery. She wakes up singing a strange and otherworldly song with the entire prison under her spell. Also an accident. Also an accident, yes. Important to, important to clarify. Accidents More accidents. Happen. Poor it's Raina. totally normal. Nothing to worry about to charm an entire facility full of people. All good and fine. Fine. It's fine. Felicity grants the party access to research and materials, and they learn that time and space magic are related. And although there are many theories about how time and time travel work, it's been observed that time is working differently now to how it has been before. This is like an observable, observable scientific phenomenon, that time is acting differently in, like, recent months. Raina confides in the party that she disappeared 70 years ago, and she says, she tells them... It's and everyone pretends to be shocked. <laughs> everyone pretends to be shocked. But the reason behind her disappearance is because she investigated a strange crevice on an isolated island and fell through. Although, <laughs> are you laughing because of crevice? I'm just remembering all the jokes we made about it at the time. <laughs> I tried so hard not to call it a hole in its back backstory. This isn't much better. <laughs> the problem is there's, there's very few words for hole that aren't funny. <laughs> yeah, I okay. can think of a few. Abyss. 
she fell through the hole, but she doesn't remember what happened after that. And the party decided it was probably a good idea to investigate this island and see if it would reveal more answers. The DM did not prepare for this, and so then had to write a whole arc. <laughs> and did a very good had job not too. Previously thought of. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. On the way back to Catgirl City, Delphi discovers that her crystal-wielding hand has been seemingly infected with a dark purplish mould, and Raina used the message spell to try and contact the centaur from her dream, and receives only a long and angry scream in response. <coughs> Sending, sorry. Sending, thank you. <laughs> Sending spell. Oops. I know D&D. I'm a competent DM who knows the spells. You don't need to, they're written down. That's the point of the books. That's the, that's why, and you guys, you guys know. No, we don't, we always Google for. them. The point is, we make D&D accessible and friendly for everyone, and that's the important thing. So, back from, from um, Clockwork City, the girls acquire a ship to head over to the island. After fighting off some giant sharks, Failing. they crash into the shore Failing of the island. Failing to fight off the giant sharks. Hey, you guys did a decent they job. My friends. No, we didn't kill yeah, them. Yeah, Toss killed one. Toss killed one, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they try, the girls tried to send a message for help, but it was shot out of the sky by Jetsam, a protective water genasi, and her twin Flotsam, an air genasi. We should probably mention the, the way we send messages with a oh, yeah. robot raven that was given bro. to us by our boss, Bastet. Robot ravens are a thing. It's pretty sick. That is called something that I have now forgotten. It's a messenger carrier raven. Carrier raven. There you go. Messenger raven? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, carrier raven like carrier pigeon. Something like that. Yeah, a little mechanical raven, which is like a combination lo the locate person spell and the... What's the spell that allows you to record like a short message? Magic mouth? Magic mouth? So that message gets shot out of the sky and then the, the twin genasi leave the party um, to have a, an investigate of the of the hole um and the party head up to the summit of the island Raina remembers the whole glowing <laughs> I can't get through this with the whole whole thing um Raina remembers it glowing strangely and looking otherworldly but the hole they investigate is kind of unremarkable they can't see all the way to the bottom on account of the crystals that jut out of the opening, but Green, Morgan's parrot familiar, who finally becomes relevant Ooh. to the plot, flies to the bottom and finds nothing but a watery it's cave. Done other stuff before. It, it's done other stuff before then. It does do it does do plenty of stuff. That was the point at which I went, ah, the the plot does not make sense without you having a familiar. This is actually deeply important. Flot and Jet return with their parents, who take the party to an island cloaked in illusion magic. A whole island. The Genasi deliberately kept themselves apart from the warmongering and greedy civilizations the party know well. They go to the island Seer, who inspects the flute and sees a figure who looks just like Raina emerging from the crystals, saying, I have to hide the flute from Lenanon. It's important to note, though, that the seer sees this from several decades ago, even before Raina's disappearance. So I think we said like 120 years ago, something like that. Yeah. So someone who looks like Raina, but isn't Raina. The party asks the seer to inspect a number of items. Toz asks to check in on Iona, who can't be seen 
with the seer's powers, and her uncle, who is supposedly hiding something from her. On inspecting Delphi's crystal, the seer has a dramatic reaction and is blinded by the crystal's otherworldly power, and also possibly has brain damage. We didn't go into that. The party ran away. She bravely ran away. I was about to say just like fireworks. The party seek answers in the planar whirlpool in the centre of the island. The whirlpool shows them visions. Toz sees a path split in multiple directions, ending with her uncle. Morgan sees the city of Antibra slowly recovering from the ravages of floods. Delphi sees Shamblerot, a nightmarish figure from fairy tales. And Raina sees nothing at all. Finally, the group all see a disturbing vision. Different planes flashing before their eyes, and in each plane a hole in the very fabric of reality, a hole in the shape of a small figure. They see the eternal shards, the crystal monoliths they encountered at the beginning of their journey, shifting and changing, moving up and down until they are all the same height. Stunned by their confusing revelations, they head back to the mainland for a performance review. Uh, this is a bit where it's maybe going to be slightly spoilers for people. Um, mm-hmm. So Tosia's goes mostly without incident. Model model worker. Just how I like it. Just, yeah, yeah. Mostly fine. Mostly fine. Just a little bit spicy. Yeah, just a little bit of, a little bit of uh, favouritism from the boss, maybe. <laughs> the others don't have such an easy time. Morgan is handed a letter stamped with a crest, the contents of which are still a mystery to everyone but Morgan, that is. Raina is thoroughly scolded for her jailbreak incident, and Delphi's review is hijacked by the Delphire of the Keys and Crossings, the otherworldly entity who's instructing Delphi via the crystal. The Delphire leaves our young warlock with a message. The pins are shifting. And a riddle. Do you know when a key is not a key? Can you pick a lock out of a crowd? Basset asks the group to travel to Navrosh, an elven city plagued with strange figures that keep appearing and disappearing. They travel across the mountains and stumble into a dragon's lair, which they then wake up the dragon and had to fight it, although, really, they probably could have run away. Hey, I tried to run away. Yeah. But it's (laughs) almost like the players who were controlling the characters were itching for a fight. Funny that. We killed the dragon! Yeah, they killed the dragon... Um, but before that ha- And then Ellie made us look into the next um, the next village and was like, the dragon was definitely bad, don't worry. <laughs> don't have moral feet quandaries about dragon murder. <laughs> Importantly though, during the fight, Morgan calls out to her god, Calacta, the god of truth and time, and receives no response. Yep. Seems like a Morgan problem. <laughs> e- e- not, not something standard, just... There just is a good bit Morgan of Morgan who thinks Morgan's this is just a skill issue. issue. Like, she hasn't tried that spell before. <laughs> that knowing Ellie, knowing Ellie, probably not the case. Would be very funny if that was. <laughs> that gives me ideas for me to do. Actually, Morgan is the opposite of whatever God's favorite is. In the Dragon Horde, Tazia discovers some strange artifacts of Loxodon origin, and. Tos, do you remember what they are? Oh, one was a symbol of the god that I follow, whose name Praetor. I can't remember because I don't have Tosia's character sheet. Praetor. Praetor, who's like law and order and like kind of like Athena-esque. And then there's another one that looks like it is a pair to the object that represents Praetor. But I'm like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. I think, I believe I told you that it was an eagle and an albatross. I'm not sure if that's spoilers. Yeah. 
and we established that the eagle is praetor. I, I, yeah, and I rolled a pretty good religion check, and you were still like, you don't know who this is. Yeah, and the the eagle is made out of ivory, and the albatross is made out mm. of bone. Bone. Um, yeah. yeah. So on the sick slay. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! On the way out of the mountains, Toz gets the distinct sense that they're being watched, but isn't able to. Uh, roll high enough to see to find out what that feeling comes from um, and Morgan tried and it was fine and it was fine nothing bad happened right yeah we were totally fine exactly all good um, Morgan tries tries to speak to Collector once more but is met with silence again and then we we came on to Navrosh which is where we are now when in the city of Navrosh, they meet Lyra Opulensis, their government contact for this Boo. leg of the journey. <laughs> um, she she explains the ghostly activities have been happening in three main locations: the sports arena, the theater, and the shopping center. After fighting ghosts in two of these locations, the party learns that the ghosts are warm and staticky to the touch, rather than cold. Raina successfully manages to communicate with a ghost who cries out that they... Oh my god, I've just realised something about this adventure. What? Um, the places where these ghosts are appearing presumably are where the majority of the power is being sent. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you got it! We, I thought we explicitly said that on the podcast. I don't think we explicitly said it. We linked that they were, like, electricity beings and probably something to do with the power generation, but we hadn't been like, that's why it's these locations. Yeah, they're going to have the most electricity, aren't they? Anyway, yeah, they are. Apart from like a hospital, but that would maybe a bit more be to do it. In. We'll let Ellie continue the recap, and then this will make sense for people that haven't been listening. <laughs> Raina, so Raina successfully manages to communicate with a ghost, who says that they've been pulled from somewhere else by her, but doesn't say anything more descriptive. The party kind of, and we were all like, "That's Lyra <laughs> Opulensis," and Ellie was like, "Not necessarily," and we were like, "Yes, it is." <laughs> The ghosts, some some of the ghosts feel like they have no choice but to fight back. The party discovers a secret message in the sports arena with a location and a meeting time. They head to the meeting point and make contact with Alwyn Flint, our first Patreon NPC! Woo! And Pikelet, a pair of electricians who basically notice that something fishy is going on. This city is the first in the world to generate electricity from arcane sources. However, the power grid has recently undergone development to access even more power from a new mystery source. The group resolve to break into the power plant and discover more about this power source and how it might relate to the ghosts. After successfully charming the guards, sort of, the Lol. group have... <laughs> uh, we did it. It's fine. We did do it. It's uh, it's going to be really interesting when Charm Person go listen, wears Go off. listen to the episode. Yeah, that, that's just the episode, the 12 Water, uh, episode 62. So if you want to listen to that, that's worth listening to. Uh, if nothing else, for NPC well, Jeff, water. who oh, Jeff. I love. Jeff is my favourite. You also get to hear my really good skill of... You see, in improv... I'm very good at continuing <laughs> to talk. However, I don't have a lot of thoughts in my brain. Um, so some really crazy stuff comes out, and that's what you get to hear in that episode. Yeah, insane. 
Um, so now the group have an hour to make their way through the high security into the heart of the power plant, and they're currently locked in a deadly battle with a giant electric eel, which is intent on making them dinner. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. It's What's it going to do? everything so far. And that's where we are. That's the That's, that's our entire goal. podcast, guys. That's everything so far, and that's taken us literally 30 minutes. Um, I'm so it's sorry, Chloe. Than... <laughs> it's either this or we put the entire thing on fast forward and condense like 60 hours into 30 minutes. How many that? That's 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 like an hour and half a minute. We have done three three years worth, guys, of oh, podcasting. God, really? This is... Is mm. it... Wait, are we at the end... Are yeah, we at the end of year three or the beginning of year three. The uh, oh, the end of year three because we started in twenty twenty. Yeah, twenty twenty. So that would be year three. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So we've had we've done three years of this podcast. So it's there a, we are and, and it. it feels it's been the length of over half of my relationship. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> and we have good lord we have spent um, a lot of that time messing about and making stupid jokes and going on tangents but we have also done a lot of content uh in that time so like little little round of applause for us yay yay now i'm gonna hand back over to chloe to to take the reins for the rest of the episode thank you ellie and i'm gonna suppress the urge to do a stupid american newsreader voice don't don't suppress the urge Do we have American fans? I don't want them to hate us. <laughs> hey, I've had American podcast friends compliment me on my American accent. Woo. Thank you very much. Anyway, that's our entire podcast, but it wouldn't be our podcast without the main characters, without the player characters that we have yeah. exploring the world that we have created together. So, yeah, starting with Am because that's the way we always Should do we it. Go in- um, yeah. Do you want to give us a quick little, a little like description of Toz? Maybe going into a little bit more detail yeah. about how he did there. Absolutely. I think I'll talk a little bit about what was kind of in my mind when building. Oh, that's this amazing. Character, yeah. I think might be kind of useful. Um, so yeah, I play Tozia. She's a uh, battle master fighter and a loxodon. As I said on um, uh, the other podcast, Chloe and I do RWD. Um, I'm really not beating the furry allegations because uh, my current PCs are a loxodon, a werewolf, and a haringon, a rabbit folk. In your defence, elephants are famously not furry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think of what the because it's for yeah, like lizards and I stuff. It's I've... scaly, but I don't think that skinny is the appropriate. Um, oh, maybe not. No. <laughs> yeah, Toja is definitely not skinny. Um, and when I was building her, one of the things that I really wanted to do is, without obviously getting too heavy for a fun little podcast, I am a plus-size person who has struggled with self-image and my relationship with food a lot, and I wanted to create some real positive fat representation and to not be afraid of weight and mass and taking up space. Um, and that is something I wanted to be really positive about Toji's character. Like, it is good that she is big and beefy. It is good that she is sturdy and can take damage and is wide. Um, and it's something that is not only good in the context of the podcast, it is something that is, like, good in her mm. culture and where she's from and part of and her story. And useful. And that's something that was kind of really important. And we love yeah. her. Yeah. It was something that was really important to me. Yeah. Um, when I was making her. 
yeah, one, there are a few things I kind of wanted to look into with her. One of them was I was really keen to build a character who is explicitly flawed, not in a way where she's like edgy or bad or like has any of the kind of, you know, I'm a loner or like I did a murder or like very, very kind of overly obvious, I guess, faults. Like, you know, she's a very lovely person. She's heroic, she's kind, she has a lot of great qualities. She also like comes from a rich family and has not really observed or like thought about what that means for her and who she's as a person and what that means in terms of her role in society. Um, and I wanted to create, you know, a character who had the potential to kind of grow as a person, especially with characters like Raina in the party who come from poverty and can turn around and kind of tell her what it's not Yeah, on. I, th- I do find it really interesting. I think what surprised me is one of the big themes of our sort of of our game that hasn't had anything to do with the plot is kind of attitudes towards money because we have four very different attitudes yeah, money towards and class. money uh, in the party. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, and I want to kind of not be afraid of that conflict. Yeah. So when I talk about how Tozja, you know, thinks of the police as something that is good for society uncritically or when she doesn't tip well or when she is kind of um naive about the experiences faced by her teammates that is kind of i want to be very clear that's not me saying it's something i agree with or i think is good but i want to create dynamics and conflict that aren't necessarily you're evil i'm good like i'm really interested in exploring nuance with her character which is something that i've also kind of without telling too much about her backstory something i wanted to bring in because i don't know if we've kind of been explicit about this Tosia doesn't have a great relationship with her family but they are not secretly evil or like you know Machiavellian or like in e- mm. like you know like evil stepmother kind of like fairy tale stories like her family love her very much and try to do the right thing and what is good for her but I don't want it to be a story where your family is either bad or good and if they're good you have to agree with them and if they're bad you have to disagree with them I want something complicated and messy um that feels real yeah do you want to tell us a bit um and also i pretty i exclusively play melee classes that's why she's a battle master Uh, no my question was actually going to be um do you want to tell us a little bit about where toss is from (laughs) oh yeah ellie and i had a really fun time creating yeah we had a really fun time creating gomaris um which is the city where toss is from she it's a moving city kind of inspired by mortal engines and also i one of my special interests is animals so i like to learn a lot of facts about animals um when i am playing a like animal-esque character so elephants will graze in herds and they'll move throughout grazing spots throughout the year and that's something i kind of wanted to reflect in the city building so gaimaris and other loxodon cities are moving cities like in mortal engines um, they kind of move about throughout the year to use the natural resources around them. They also take part in like epic battles against mm-hmm. each other. It's like very much is just part of the culture, right? Yeah, that's something that I kind of wanted to bring. Is part of my family's heritage is Scottish. That's why Tosia has a Scottish accent, and I think it's really important to, especially if you are someone like. I obviously can't speak to my um, my Welsh castmates, but for me and Chloe at least, someone who is from the UK, I think it's cool to turn around and look at your heritage and explore 
the kind of history behind that. Like, I'm English, but my family has Scottish heritage, and that's something I'm really interested in looking at and learning about and bringing into uh, my characters. Um, and so, you know, one of the uh, things of my family tartan and motto is Feros Ferio, which means I'm fierce with the fierce. And I kind of wanted to bring this attitude of, like, honour and nobility that is something that is kind of respected by also the Loxodon cities will engage in these like battles and stuff but it's not it's, it's like a chess match right like it's not something that is life or death yeah, levels of they're aggressive. not trying to harm they will fight and then yeah no and then once the fight is over they will all one will be invited like to a huge banquet at the other city and be like that was a good fight you did a really good job and there is underhanded ways of dealing with things like torturing prisoners and treating your prisoners badly and poisoning people and espionage are like very very taboo in lots of mm. society mm. it is interesting you say that though because like because Tazia's mum did die on a battlefield if I recall correctly when Toz was 14 and so that's an unusual yes. circumstance yeah, people do, I want to be clear, people do die in their conflicts, but it's not seen as, like, Tazia's not going to turn around to the side that her mother was fighting in that conflict and be like, you killed my mother, I will swear revenge on you forever. She'll be like, you killed my mother, I'm sad my mother's dead, you fought honourably, she fought honourably, the best soldier won the battle. Yeah. That's kind of, like, the attitude that they have. Hmm. Which is real food for the therapist, if you think about it. It's very common when war is on, like, a smaller scale of conflict. Like, if you look at a lot of medieval skirmishes, they would fight in their heavy armour and with their heavy weapons, and then they would take a break because they were all tired, and no one would try to kill anyone Or they would the just not side. attack because it was raining, things like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's kind of like that very old-school, like, northern European aesthetic that I think is like very foundational to Loxodon society. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a lot of fun making this group and I have a lot of fun making Tosia. Mm. She is very complex and layered and I am excited that we get to explore lots of yeah, different things about her. She is and we love her. We do. <laughs> She's a sweet girl. She needs to learn about how the world works. That's uh, right, that's uh, why... Me at the ripe old age of 25 yeah. and her at 19. But that's why she's uh, going out to adventure, right? It's so she can experience yeah. the world and, and learn those things. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So I realised after talking about this that I did kind of take inspiration a little bit from Keyleth in Critical Role. Ah, um, yeah, yeah, I see that. But, yeah, on her Arabante. Um, but, yeah, so Tajir is... I'm not going to talk about, like, the way nobility works in Gaimaris because it would take half an no. hour. Um, but essentially, Tozia is much like the British House of Lords. There are inherited titles in seats of government, mm. and she's set to inherit the title of basically like Lord of um, the uh, Armories. And so that would mean she would be like a, the general of the city. She would be dealing with looking after the armed forces and making battle strategies and talking about okay well I think we should fight this city I don't think we should fight this other city um, and as part of that after her mother died she left her a letter encouraging her to go and explore the world around her to basically because she all she's ever known is basically growing up in comfort in this one city 
she thinks it would be basically like good for her as a ruler to experience other things in the world. I think in a lot of ways Toz is kind of like those those kids that go to private school and then they go on a lot of really like expensive holidays to lots of locations and so they think they're very worldly and cultured because they've travelled a lot. Like they've physically been to lots of different places. You're just places. talking about me at 19 years old, girl. <laughs> uh, maybe I am. Maybe I am. What What of it? But like, yeah, and then and then like the, the difference between like you can have you can never never left a country but if you like i think you know like like someone like i want i don't want to say reina necessarily but i think reina's maybe a good yeah, kind of parallel for a living. where reina hasn't traveled a lot but yeah but she's had a lot of experience mm. she's worked she's been around a lot of different people she's had to like kind of use her know-how yeah. and savvy to get around in a way that Toz hasn't yet. Or so, that Toz is just learning Absolutely. To. I want to be... Yeah, I want to be very clear that a lot, of, a lot of Toz's flaws are flaws that I saw in myself when I was younger. I think that that is kind of, like, a fun thing to play with. Sure. It's a very fun um, thing to explore. And think about. And I, I also really like that Tozia has a lot of parallels with the other characters in the mm. party. Like, her and Morgan both have this rich background, but... In, like Morgan's from a crime family and Tozia's from a family who's very big on ah. honor and nobility, but in some ways they're not as real and straight honor up and nobility as Morgan's family. Of, yeah, not the um, not what I would use to describe what's going on over in yeah. Adderborough. Um, uh, Tozia and Raina, I think, are both very like blunt, honest, hmm. good people who are kind of the party's moral compasses. And I think Morgan, uh, Delphi, and Tozia both have this complicated relationship with their parents yeah. as well mm-hmm. um, that I think is really interesting that they have all these mm-hmm. things in common but I've been talking yeah. for a long time so I'm going to stop talking you've got lots of cool stuff to say it's good I love her so much thank you since I started in the correct order that feels a bit weird because I'm facilitating I'll go next yeah go next yeah well we uh, can, I can yeah, yeah. I can help a little bit with this in, yeah. in terms of prodding you with questions and stuff so yeah Raina Raina Riffwood who talks with a Cockney accent of questionable quality oh my god I love her uh, so, um, my sweet girl <laughs> she <laughs> yeah so she is a tabaxi she is a bard to start with at least She's actually secretly a warlock, but we haven't had that confirmed yet. That's my theory. <laughs> yeah, I I do I do this thing with quite a lot of my PCs in that I really love the vibe of warlocks, but I just for some reason I never want to actually keep play accidentally a warlock. making warlocks. So I just kind of oops, all warlocks. Yeah, I just kind of make the vi- the warlock vibe in another class, and that's what I've done with Reina. Um, but essentially, more importantly than being a bard for Reina, she is a sailor. That is uh, her her work. Mm, that is what she has grown up doing since yeah. she was a child, um, because she grew up on the streets with her mother and her brother, her little brother Seth. Her mother died when she was quite young. Uh, never knew her father, I believe, unless I wrote that down somewhere mm. and forgot about it, which is quite no. possible. <laughs> it's a fun little thing for Ellie to play with later. <laughs> Uh, and she left Raina uh, nothing but her flute, which her mother did not play, but always carried with her uh, for some reason that she never explained. And so Raina kept this flute, didn't learn to play it because she didn't have anyone to teach her to play it. But her and Seth both pulled their weight, learned how to sail properly uh, and became sailors. 
This was, however, 70 years before our story takes place. Rainer is 19 years old. There is a uh, interesting maths that don't work out there because as Ellie mentioned, uh, on a particular mission to investigate this little island, uh, Rainer fell through some kind of magical crystally pink hole. Uh, that's, God, I hate that sentence. <laughs> I like said it you and then- it like a portal. I said it without any, just lit, meaning it literally completely fine. And then I went, oh my mm. God. <laughs> um, but anyway, Rona fell into this hole and uh, since that point, her memory has been a particularly fuzzy, doesn't particularly remember much. She has never known peace. She has never known peace, no. Uh, until she emerged on a beach outside of Atus Orbis, the city where she grew up, and just before our story began, which she gradually learned to be 70 years in the future from where she... Am I right in thinking that she turned up on the beach covered in blood or am I misremembering that? I... Ooh. Okay, okay. I don't think so, but it... But... It, yeah, I feel like there was something. There. I don't think she was covered in blood, but there was something. But I can't remember what. You'll have to go back and listen to our, like, first, first trailer to, first, to hear that. First, first episode, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Raina, when I when I was making Raina, it was it was I'd only just started playing D and D. Me and Ellie had only just started playing together in a home group, and so I only had like I want to say three characters before that. I'd never played a different game. Uh, well, I played lots now. <laughs> I'd never played a bard, and I thought this is the perfect time to play a bard because I am a bard in real life, and also because I actually do play the flute. Uh, so. Mm. Yeah, I could play that on. And we podcast. had a bit of a, we had a bit of a home a home rule because most of, because the people we play with on the regular are by and large performers, some of whom who have musical abilities. Mm. We had a kind of in for for not not anymore, but we kind of had a, an in game rule for a while that if you played a bard and if you wanted to do something like give bardic inspiration, you had to play a little tune or perform in some way. Ellie did slam poetry. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. One I did day ba- we'll I did you do bad slam poetry, poetry on this podcast. It'll be amazing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I decided to to play the bard, and I I remember actually quite struggling with who Raina was going to be to start with. I decided I want to play a bard. I decided I want to play a tabaxi, and all of this, and then I I couldn't quite get like a character together. It wasn't really coming to me. And then of course we used our oh we didn't mention our cards, which is like the <laughs> yeah, whole I point think of the podcast. Um, but I'll mention one day. Now. One day. So, as I said at the beginning, everybody's past, present, and future is determined by a card drawn from the deck of many things. We won't share the past ones because I don't think they've been publicly shared. We can share them now. It's a good else's. time to share them. I mean, we could. I think without Iriel here, yeah, I, I don't think that's fair. fair. Yep. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately. But my my present card was the moon. And I thought, okay... Um, my present card is strength, just for... Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, Ellie? Your your I... present card was the comet, wasn't it? The comet, which, which means, means strength. strength. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. So <laughs> I looked up, because I, I 
don't really engage with tarot. It's not uh, it's not really my thing. I enjoy it. I just don't. Um, it's I've never been like a part of it. So I had a little look at what the moon card, obviously what the moon card does in D and D, but also what the moon card represents in tarot. Because I was like, this might give me some inspiration. And one of the things that jumped out. Do you want to me, share what the do you want to share what the moon card does in yes. D&D as well? So it gives you, it lets you cast Wish. I can't remember specifically. It's like 1D3 one D3 times. 1D3 times, yeah. yeah. For, for um, those who don't know, Wish the is the most powerful, powerful yeah, the most powerful spell in the game. Can let you do anything you yeah. want. So, so I had to do something drastic. <laughs> so I Captain America'd her. Uh, with the, uh, the idea being that she kind of wished herself out of uh, wherever it is that she was I, I'm not going to say because I don't think we've actually explicitly said it but I think it's very obvious at this point it's been very heavily implied heavily but I implied. don't think it's obvious either uh, so I'm not going to say but yeah and one of the things that jumped out to me was that the moon is very often associated with motherhood and with fertility and things like that now for various reasons that I won't get into I really did not want to play a parent or a mother i really didn't want, want to do that but i do and i do this with pretty much all my characters since i started playing uh, ttrpgs is that all of my characters have some kind of in and i don't know what it says about me uh, they have some kind of need to protect the people they care about like to the to the point of their own like destruction where it becomes a problem quite often uh, with a lot of my PCs, and so I w- liked the idea of having somebody that Reina could uh, like care about in that way. So instead of a child, I was like, what if Reina had a younger sibling that she essentially raised, and that way I don't have to play a mother, and but I can still uh, like I can still cover that kind of part of the moon card and all of that. Uh, and then I got a little bit carried away and I was like, this is... Uh, I remember saying to Ellie, Ellie, all of my characters so far have been really sad and I would like to play a, a happy character. A fun and happy character. <laughs> um, <laughs> how that turned out. And then I wrote this backstory, which was inherently tragic because uh, the Reina's one big thing, and it's literally all my character she as the, what was it, the Bond, uh, is that she wants to find her brother because they are separated and she now doesn't know where he was. The only information that I have so far are a couple of things that are quite important, actually. Actually, you missed this out of your recap, Elu. The first one... The first one was in the recap in that Captain Sterling, who was my Rainer's one, one of Rainer's old captains, um, told her that Seth had retired a few years prior that's expected it's been 70 years in the future he's probably an old man fine but later on when we were on the ship on the way back from the island uh reina i cast a sending to set to see what would happen yeah oh my god yeah uh, oh i did no. this a couple oh god, of times i can't believe i didn't include this that's actually. so silly this is a major plot point oh my and god this was one of the things about reina because i i didn't i held off on that for a while because Raina is quite she's a little bit skittish because she grew up on the streets you know she's got to be careful about when and how she does things and I think she has this whole image of like I need to find my brother because of this this big thing and it's such a big thing that she kind of puts it off 
You don't uh, want to open Pandora. You don't want to open Schrodinger's box and find exactly. that the cat was dead all along. <laughs> because, I mean, at the end of the day, ultimately, what she was scared of is that she would cast this spell, she would cast Sending, and she would get no reply. The most likely... The most likely... Uh, explanation of that being that Seth was dead. Yeah. But she did get a reply and it was worse <laughs> than that. Thank you, Ellie. Yeah. Um, because it <laughs> appears... <laughs> I mean, it appears that... Yeah. Chloe, just tin tinfoil hat moment from me. Do we know this means he's not dead? Is he perhaps not in the Nine Hells? I mean, that is a possibility, but I don't think that sending works like that. It does other planes of existence. Wasn't that like a big thing about it? It, it does, but like death in D&D is a bit weird because it's like, yes, they go to another plane, but it's not like... I think it probably says in the spell that it won't right, as... reach them if they're dead because otherwise you people will be using it to do necromancy or, you know, necro talking all the exactly, time. Exactly, exactly. Because it's like you go to another plane, but it's it's not the same. Like it's not physically the same person, if that makes sense. Like it might be your soul. It might be reincarnated, no, or it might be in some other form, or you know. So it's a bit. Eh, I don't really know. Uh, there's a lot of D and D law I know about one percent of it. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> Seth replied. I asked him where he was, and he replied that everything hurts, and he was really uh, scared, and he didn't know where he was. And it turns out that he's in some horrible, horrible place, probably on another plane of existence, because Ellie always gets me to roll every time I cast sending. Uh, and um, gaming. And we don't know <laughs> yeah. where he is. So at the, the point where we are now, Rain is in not a brilliant like mental state, because not only does she not know where Seth is, she also has no lead to go on. So has basically left it in, in Bassett's hands. Which is weird for her. She's not used to sort of relying on other people, but she kind of has to in this in this place. Oh, she's a rogue now. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> the last time we leveled up, uh, so the way Ellie levels us up is we get two levels every time because we only do it like once a year. Uh, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, so we do two, two levels every time. So instead of taking two more levels in Bard, uh, we're all now level seven. Nine. I took two levels in Rogue, so... Uh, oh. Yeah, we are, you're right. We're level nine. Yep. So I'm level seven bard. Level. You, you may be level seven. Yeah. I'm level seven bard, level two rogue. Webster, can I have level ten? <laughs> no. Webster. Uh, <laughs> the, the Gotta idea, fight this eel first. Lol. So the idea of that was... It wasn't particularly that I wanted Reyna to be a rogue. It was that I wanted to illustrate her like attempting to kind of forge her own path and step away from whatever has been going on with this weird magic stuff that because she couldn't play she couldn't play music before she was not a musician uh, before all of this happened and then she just came out and was like I guess I can play music now this is weird um, but who knows? Who that's knows how being happens? gay works. She came that's out. How being you gay come works. out and then suddenly you gain musical abilities. Yes. <laughs> Do you? That's what happens when you lose your memory and uh, end up in a weird place. You just can randomly play music after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I thought that Rogue fitted because of her background, growing up on the streets, and also, and also just it was something that she could learn herself and teach herself. That's such a cool way to think about it. I have literally, I'm playing a rogue in my home game for those exact same reasons. I love that. We are the same. We are the same. Oh, yeah, and Atis Orbis, uh, where Rainer is from, Catgirl City, as we call it, <laughs> is 
not a nice place particularly for rainer at least it's a nice pr- a plenty nice place for people like basket probably because the 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 tabaxi are the like horrendous capitalists of this world <laughs> i'm not they quite are. sure how well it so has happened yes I think it was me because we cats like luxury. We, yeah, we created this world using the Dawn of Worlds system altogether, and as part of that, there's like a bit where you can get civilizations to like fight each other. And I was the only one that instigated that because it was a bit complicated and we didn't really understand it. Um, so, so yeah, I was like, I guess the the Tabaxia capitalists now they have a huge navy and they're going to go attack the elves. Yeah, and I yeah. So Atasorbus Verena is uh, like she struggled a bit at the start because that's where we started, and obviously everything looks quite different. But it's like it's always been a city of two halves, and now it's even more like the gap has widened, and so you've got all of these the nice oh, bits. It's Manchester, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, Chloe, can I ask you, is there any, like, real-life cities which you think had, like, influence on your inspiration of Atasorvis? I don't think real-life cities and more just... And this is... This just... This sucks, but more just, like, the way the world is, or the way that this country at the very yeah. least is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think about real-life cities as influencing it, especially because it's full of cat towers. Yeah, the, the architecture <laughs> isn't, like, a close parallel to a real, per, real like life city. The the port the port kind of aspect of the town Cardiff for me, Bay I yeah I was inspired yeah. by a little bit like by Cape Town because that is still a working port and it has oh you know what I totally see that yeah um, but for yeah. But Cardiff Bay in terms of its history is I think very reminiscent of Catgill City because like on the on the bay front it's all chain restaurants and luxury apartments and it's very like you know beautiful lights on the glittering water and then you go back two or three streets and you're in Riverside and Docks and Grangetown and they are like much more deprived areas of Cardiff that like get a really bad rep and are like yeah like kind of left behind in a lot of ways and historically were really important meeting places for the POC population of Mm. Cardiff and also queer people and sex workers. So, like, a variety of of people that are kind of looked down on by the capital-facing part of of our culture. Yeah. So I think, yeah, a lot of... uh, Cardiff City... Cardiff Bay is a fascinating place. (laughs) Um, Also, it used to be called... Tiger Bay. Which is a good name, um, I gotta say. Ah, there we go. The f- which is a great name Meow. for a cat girl city. Yeah, I mean, I, I think t- Am already said all of the, the the things to say about her like relationship with Raina. I think it is really interesting. We're absolute opposites uh, and it comes across like a lot in terms of background that is mm. yeah i think in terms of personality they have a yeah, lot of common I, yeah. which is very sweet to me yeah i think it is like they both have quite a inbuilt sense of kind of justice and um what is right and what is wrong uh, so for the most part at least yeah for sure Hello, hello, you lovely lot. It's me. It's only Chloe. You know the drill by now. It's break time. Go get a drink. Go get a snack. Look after yourselves. But in the meantime, you might consider listening to little old me. 
because I'm here to tell you ways you can support our lovely little podcast. The best way you can support us is by joining our Patreon. For as little as £3 per month, you will get a shout out on the podcast and access to our Patreon-only Discord. Plus, there's a bunch of other tiers on there with much more exciting benefits, like access to our bonus content, our side quest episodes, for example. You can have access to DM notes and character sheets. You can get your own personalised message right here in the middle. Woo! And you can even have the opportunity to play TTRPG with us, with the cast. And we're basically celebrities at this point. I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. You can find that at patreon.com forward slash deck of many aces. Be sure to check it out. You can even join for free and get updates that way. Of course, if you're not prepared to pay per month, you can always make a one-time donation to our supporter ACAST link, which is right there in the episode description. Today's promo is for How Not to DM. How Not to DM is a podcast where your host, Derek, will talk to a new guest every week from the TTRPG community about how they got into gaming, their highs and lows behind the screen, best advice for new and aspiring dungeon masters and game masters, and, of course, their amazing work and projects. It's a really cool, fun podcast to listen to. I personally love their quickfire chaos minigames. Uh, they come up with so many cool ideas, and I've definitely never, ever stolen one for my game. No, never. I would never do that. Derek talks to so many cool and interesting guests and season four is well underway. So it's a great time to jump in. There's plenty of back catalogue to enjoy. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts and also on YouTube. I love you all. Thank you for listening to me. Bye. How about Morgan? Morgan. How about Morgan? Morgan, Morgan, Morgan. So, like, back when I first started playing D&D, I sat down to myself, you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to play a wizard master. <laughs> <laughs> because that kind of felt vaguely appealing to me in the sense of, you know, there's a whole thing where people's first... Roleplay character is basically them with a funny hat it's a on. Self insert. Um, is a self insert. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to play a self insert. I'm going to do someone who's completely different from me. And I did play a character who was completely different from me. It was this really like plucky, perky druid who could barely read and um, liked socialising and all sorts of stuff. And she was great. And anyway, she was great. Oh, and then I did some other camp, other stuff with again very different characters. And then Ellie was all, "Hey, come and be on my podcast. Come up with a character." And I vaguely came up with Jacob, who was the character who ended up yes. coming on um, the Spicy Forest one, one shot, shot. Who was originally a bit different ah. then. I think he had something to do with a younger brother. And I vaguely pitched it at Ellie, and she said, "Someone else already got something with a younger sibling." And because he was very vague, so Oops. he was very vague, and I wasn't attached to him, so I just kind of shelved him. And so I turned to the other character concepts. So then I ended up coming to Morgan, who had just kind of sprung fully formed, and she was a mad scientist wizard. <laughs> <laughs> and then she just came into my head, and then I just had Morgan. I don't, I can't do character building. Just one day a character appears. It's just vibes. I don't put any thought into the backstory beyond much at all. I don't. I can't come up with with dramatic plot lines and 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 secrets in the backstory. They just come up fully formed with their current personality, and that's who they they are. And I gotta take them or leave them. 
So Morgan turned up one day. Can you tell us a little bit about the uh, present card that Morgan oh, yeah. has? Um, yeah, yeah I'll, 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 I'll go through Morgan's stuff. The present card is the Ruin card, which basically means you haven't got any money. Uh, and all of your like property and holdings <laughs> that you might have in the game would be gone. What that means to Morgan is that for, for, the family has uh, come on hard times. The family, which used to have a lot of money, now no longer has any money. So it's, yeah, a bit of a change for her. She's at least partially coming out and doing some adventuring in order to get some cash together. Previously, she was working as an academic, as a wizard scientist, studying time magic and and basically physics. So she's got the wings, and the wings are a big thing for her. And I'm trying to be not... Like, I don't want to make this as... Like, trying to be a, a, a some kind of not particularly great metaphor for a real-life discrimination. I'm not, I'm not trying to do it like that. It's, but it is this... Having these wings, there's a lot of complicated history with the elves and the tieflings and the changelings. And there is a lot of distrust on the elves' part of the tieflings generally and anything especially that seems unusually weird. So the wings kind of just are a massive thing about that. Because there's only been a few tieflings with wings, right? Yeah, it's, 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 it's not unprecedented, but it is extremely rare. Can I ask a universe-building question about tieflings? I may not have an answer. I know, obviously, we decided they are their own, like, mm. race. Because I know in the original D&D source book, tieflings are, like, you, they just pop up randomly mm. and then sometimes they propagate. But generally, tieflings will be born to human parents. Yeah, these are, these are weird tieflings. Universe. And my question was, like, are, are they still, like, if Tazia makes a deal with a, a dark devil, is there a chance that she uh, I would kid? say or is probably it just, like, no. Only... But the the exact uh, origin of the tieflings as a people, and what that may or may not have to do with any extra planar entities, is up for whatever. Ooh. I mean, we we of course homebrewed everything to death in this, so it's it's yeah, it's right now the tieflings are their own distinct group of people, and they have their own distinct society with a lot of tension with the elves. And, and yeah. yeah, so I, yeah, it's it, it's very weird. So like within the Tiefling society, there's a whole bunch of social pressure about like proprietary, propriety,ness and properness. Pressure to be outwardly proper. I was thinking very much when I was coming up with this. Thing. I was thinking the kind of vaguely fantasy idea of what like. Regency era with the the kind that you see in fantasy novel or not fantasy novel in romance novels where it's all not quite mm. how it actually was but the the very like properness and the extremely formal manners and the upstanding social upstandingness you. pressure and then on the background there's a whole bunch of dirty dealings and business sneakery and backstabbing and poisoning and forging of letters and spying on each other all sorts of stuff. Uh, so Morgan spent quite a bit of time as a kid, like, trying very hard to do everything she could to make up for the fact that she was weird, basically. Didn't really work. She was very, very good at the academic side of things and, and magic skills, but that's not what her family valued. 
and the social side of things like was not something she was particularly good at so yeah she's basically ran away to become an academic went up to the city of Braw out of Andenborough and has hung around in Braw since then doing nerd things I'm becoming very very clever becoming very very clever although not as clever as she thinks she is uh, she's yeah she's very blunt yeah she wants to make some money to help the family out she also wants to make some money to kind of stand away from them and also vaguely wants yeah I understand that to like the reason she got into time magic as a kid is, is in Antebra there was this great flood that did destroy a lot of things and it's the, the whole place is kind of partially uh, submerged partially in a way where it's livable like uh, in Venice or Amsterdam and partially these things are destroyed so she's grown up around these things where uh, time has definitely taken its toll and like the idea to be able to do something about that on the larger scale not just like rebuilding things but undoing things definitely was in her head of course that's very a very large thing but it, it, that was kind of the thing that she was staring at as a kid and thinking a lot about I do think though when you're particularly when you're younger like you, you have these very large concepts and things and uh, like you, you have the kind of thing that you're going to do to fix it all when in reality the thing that you're going to do is actually like um, it might help but it's not going to fix you, it all, you, you, know? you, you decide um, you're going to be an astronaut as a kid and you end up in fact like going through very precise astronomical data for five 15 hours on end and it's not unrelated yeah. but it's also very much like digging through minutiae of little things compared to the big and dramatic mm. stuff um and that's yeah. where the real that's where the real work valuable. happens but it's i feel like morgan's a bit like a, a bit like that in that she's like uh, she's like I've got my my thing that I know do really well and I'm gonna use that uh, to like you know, like you say to, to help the family to get more money in and all of that mm. and she she Even does like to discover stuff and want. show off her own cleverness being able to be the best at yeah. time magic and have everyone talk about how good she is at it is not an unrelated motivator mm-hmm. It is nice to have everyone talk about how good you are. Talking about Morgan's uh, super duper clever magic. Um, do you want to tell us? Oh about yeah, Green? I got a familiar. Its name is Green. Yeah. Um, uh, this Baby is boy. a Green is a hyacinth macaw, which is a blue type of parrot. For anyone who cares, it's using the Raven stat block, so it can do the kind of mimicry thing, which I I I, I wanted. The Raven didn't feel right. So I changed it to being a parrot. And it's very great. I love it. I don't actually love it. Uh, it's it's a not entirely a normal thing. It is not exactly a normal familiar, but in a way that I think may forever may, may forever remain a noodle incident that gets alluded to and not discussed. The vague vibe is that it was something that did not used to be tame, but Morgan captured it and now it now she's bound it to her so it is kind of along for the ride but it may be not necessarily always happy about this fact i always like i this is not in the kind of original conception of green as a character but since since we started this podcast i have read um sabriel by garth nix and there's <laughs> 
a there's a yeah there's yeah, the, yeah, I love that the book. cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the I cat's never name, actually but read like those the fact books. that it. But oh, I picked up and doubled like, out that this... cat via Tumblr osmosis that I know what you're talking right? about. That yeah, is not a direct like inspiration, cat... but it's also not a bad comparison. It's the cat's like this weird <laughs> eldritch being that has been like that has just been kind of contained and is sort of begrudgingly helpful and standoffish <laughs> in the way that cats can be in this kind of like oh yeah okay I'll deign to help you um but only because you're sort of slightly incompetent without me and I think green has some of that energy sometimes whatever it is it's not quite a normal familiar and it's yeah Although Ariel couldn't be with us for the time of recording, we've asked her to record a little something telling you all about Delphi. So here it is. Enjoy. Delphi came about because of two major things. So firstly, I really wanted to play a warlock. I I personally love the kind of Eldritch Horror warlock, the one that's like more about the not really knowing what the entity that you've made this deal with really wants whether they're good or evil whether they are either of those things what they are aiming to do you don't know that and that was super compelling to play with and i really wanted to play that and then when we did we did a world building session and when we did that i was like immediately in love with the the grow folk which i like when when they first started out, they were just like tree people. We wanted like, and they were very nondescript. They lived in what was originally called the Spicy Forest, which is why we always call it the Spicy Forest. Like it was that was the original name. And then, as I, as we all figured out more of the details of the law, it got expanded upon. And I really fell in love with that and took it under kind of my um, purview to like make the grow folk a thing and playing a warlock in that it it was interesting it, it meant that I could play a character that was weird in some ways because they were a warlock they had this patron they would do things that they didn't entirely understand they knew things that they didn't entirely know um, like you see that a lot especially later in the show that Delphi just starts knowing things and it's it's so much fun because it firstly allows Ellie to just tell me stuff and get me to be the character, get my character to be the one that just pushes forward the story in case that needs to happen like doesn't always need to happen plenty of time we are pushing forward the story but sometimes it's really helpful to have someone who can be like you're not going to get this, here's the answer and it works so well because of the nature of Delphi's patron being this like just kind of weird otherworldly entity that's non-specific and like at this point is just like a vibe that happens but is also the thing that I love about the Delphi which is Delphi's patron is that they are obviously incredibly powerful but they don't ever use any of that power in any like perceivable way so it's this really nice like oh this is this character that can just do stuff and you're never gonna know why or what or 
software or whatever. They're just potentially doing things all the time. And I wanted to make a character that could be weird because they were a warlock, but also weird because they were this this very secluded culture and area with a completely different way of life, both because of, like, you know, they're a different culture and they have different cultural values, but also because they have an entirely different physiology that means they are they function in an entirely different way. Like, I thought huge amount about how the grow folk physiology works not in like the sense of like oh how do their muscles work exactly but like how do I want them to feel I don't I didn't want them to feel slow like um, the ants from Lord of the Rings or anything like that I wanted them to feel like people but people that had this fundamental difference so like they're not a capitalist society in any capacity they have no real sense of money or anything like that. They have a much stronger sense of community than certain other cultures in that place. So like that was that was like super interesting to play around with. As well as like there's a load of me and my friend I I I will put forward my friend as being like two of my friends as being a major part in helping me figure out what I wanted from both that that race and also that character and it was this idea of like the way they see their bodies is very different to the way that we see our bodies as humans it it was a way for me to explore body modification in a fantasy setting rather than like a cyberpunk setting or any of those things and i don't know if i've ever talked about on the podcast but there's a there was an interesting idea i had of certain grow folk who wanted to be able to protect others. They would use weapons and things, but also they would get steel balls embedded in their knuckles in a really simple process that was painful but not horrendous, just inserting them over on top of the knuckle. These kinds of things, like jewellery becomes a very different thing when you're growing around that jewellery. So yeah, sure, you might have an ear piercing, but what you're probably more likely to have is a piece of metal that runs through the tree and one of the interesting things is that like you wouldn't it probably wouldn't actually be steel because steel would um rust you're looking at things like titanium bronze copper all of these metals that they may rust they may degrade but they're not going to like uh so in real life you have um iron poisoning from steel and iron in trees so if you cut down a tree and it's got a nail in it you'll see these black marks that run through the tree and that's because the iron has caused the tree to die whereas with other things that doesn't happen um but yeah it's really interesting like it was a really just this kind of really compelling idea the growth of general i really wanted to take that and pull them into it so I could play like hey this is a weird character because they're a grow folk and then over time be like they're also weird for a grow folk like other grow folk find them a little weird they have left the forest which very few people do they have decided to adventure outside and on top of that they've decided that like to kind of abandon their family to a certain extent and all of these other things and like I love, I, like we we had Delphi's sister in it, and it was like this is 
such a wonderful character. I love them. And we found out Delphi's dad. And like one of there's so many things about the graph. I could talk about them for literally hours. I adore them. But Delphi themselves is like that embodiment of weird for one reason, weird for another, and then weird in both contexts. The thing that's really important for me with Delphi is that Delphi doesn't know anything about what their patron wants until they are informed and that happens on the podcast 90% of the time there are a couple of things that Delphi does know but most of Delphi doesn't that she has no idea and the things that she does know she's not telling because she sees no reason to and it's like Delphi is not a perfect character Delphi is far from a perfect character they are so fundamentally flawed but they're flawed in a way that I find really interesting rather than being flawed in a way that I find that some characters can be and it's still fun for the players and it can still be fun for all for the gen but I personally find less interesting which is they're flawed because they're bad people so they you know they hurt people and like that whereas Delphi is flawed because they, they believe certain things that aren't necessarily true and they have chosen to do that despite what might be the that might not be the case. Like they, there's loads of stuff about Delphi that's really interesting and compelling, and I, I love playing them as a character. Like, I wanted to play a warlock, and then the Growfoot turned up, and I immediately went, "Cool, I have a character perfectly set out now in my head." And just like over time, that got expanded upon in such a lovely, wonderful way that like it's just mm, mm, beautiful. Give me that, give me that good, good stuff. Like, I can talk about that for ages, but some of it I can't talk about because it's secrets between me and Ellie uh, and other things I can't talk about because I just can't. It doesn't work like that. I love them. I love them. I can't wait to play more of them. I can't wait. I can't wait for them to do something awful. Uh, that's, that's my main thing, guys. I really want to see them do something absolutely horrible. Whether that's to the party or to someone else or whatever, but I'm like, Delphi has to fall. It's the one big thing that like is going to happen. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know any of those things. That is up for Ellie to decide as well as me. But like, that's up for the GM, and it might not happen. You know, you never know. I think Delphi could be absolutely perfect in every conceivable way, but they're not. They're not. I'll tell you. Keep like, to keep you. I'll, I'll give you the secret listeners Ellie turn this off they're gonna fall they're gonna have something go horribly 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 wrong like they've already had things go wrong it's gonna go bad way before this uh, this adventure began her kind of interest was um, splicing plants together so kind of like putting different kind of parts of plants together in different contexts to see if they can thrive outside of their native environment um and so she was kind of traveling around with her dad um and and conducting these experiments and doing kind of discoveries um so she came across her crystal in a sleepy little village just outside of shrukti i believe which is a kind of a lizard folk settlement she woke up one one day everything was totally normal and the next day she woke up and the entire town was disappeared gone the buildings or the people the people 
the people. The people. So everything else remained. I remember this story. Yeah. When we were told this. The people. The people were all all gone, and well, they weren't gone. Well, there was only a couple. Were they left. dead. Were they all? I thought there was a pile of bodies. There in was the two bodies. There was not a pile of. Yeah, there were two bodies. Okay. So. The two, yeah. How so many bodies are, uh, constitutes Daniel? a pile? How many do we need? So, Is three bodies well, a pile of bodies? Two, <laughs> I'd say at least, at least three. Yeah. <laughs> at least three. Um, so Delphi, yeah, when, when she walked through the streets, she found these two figures and their bodies were kind of like lacerated or and damaged in, in some other way that was sort of unrecognisable. And in their hands, they both held this crystal and she kind of had a compulsion to pick it up and so she did and it's been on her person ever since so Delphi is a warlock not by trade I don't know many people who are a a warlock by vocation it's mostly a a kind of an accidental thing that happens Delphi is um, has, has this crystal which kind of functions as a sort of pocket dimension and a weapon and it's she doesn't really know what her kind of purpose is. She knows that the entity that has bestowed this crystal to her is called the Delphire. The Delphire is not a god in a traditional sense. They are kind of like a being. As such, there's very little like literature or information about them. Um, their full title is the Delphire of the Keys and Crossings. Aside from that, Delphi knows very little about what they are doing and what they are searching for. They know that there is something to do with a key and a lock and that's basically it. And that's what Raina and Delphi have bonded over uh, several times actually yeah. in the podcast is they're both just like, something weird's going on and I don't know what it is. Warlocks. Yeah, the, those those <laughs> two are the, the sort of like weirdery ones. <laughs> I think that Delphi. I mean, Morgan and I are nice and normal. Yes, yes, quite, totally quite normal. nice and normal. Absolutely, no, no fishy stuff going on there. No, thank you very much. Yeah, I actually, even before you guys had played the characters, I do, and I kind of, I, I have this as a, um, a habit from playwriting, which is I put all of the characters. Like and I put their relationships with each other and I put their kind of like what their similarities are and you know what kind of things they can have to kind of connect over and for like Delphi, a ship diagram I... but instead of the relationships it's just like likes books and yeah exactly uh... exactly so I think for both Raina and Delphi I've, I've put weird crystals <laughs> weird crystals <laughs> good and power and power that they don't understand um, and then Delphi and Morgan, I think, are both... They're, they're academically minded in very different ways. Mm. Um, That's cool, though. I think Delphi has a kind of curiosity about the world that is that is academic, but their approach is completely different to Morgan's, I think. Yeah. One of the things that I love about Delphi is that she is incredibly intelligent, but Ariel does such a great job of, of playing it because she comes from a quite insulated uh, that's not the right word isolated society yeah you know so because delphi hasn't really had much um 
experience with the 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 wider kind of society that we exist in um sometimes she comes across like really dumb because she doesn't understand something like money uh you know uh but like there was a point where you guys met the mayor of a town and she was like isn't that a type of horse yeah exactly (laughs) things like that but but also yeah it's a different language yeah it's because that's all it is it's not that delphi is is not intelligent she's very very intelligent she's an in-based warlock i think yeah she is an in-based she is an in-based warlock yeah so she gets uh, she finds those moments of no this is where delphi knows what exactly what she's talking about and this is where delphi wouldn't have a concept of it which i Mm, think is really cool yeah yeah for sure yeah it's very funny i think yeah very funny so for all of for all of you i had like i sat down with everyone and i had character chats with people and the kind of the thing that was similar across everyone's is i put in your past present and future cards i talked to you about kind of what you wanted to get out of the characters and what you like kind of what kind of themes were important to you and then i also so i i did have a look at tarot cards and particularly for your future cards, I kind of found parallel tarot cards to the deck of any things cards, and I picked out sort of prescient quotes. Now, I won't tell you those quotes, but the other thing that I did was I picked, like, quotes from literature or song lyrics that I felt were particularly... <gasps> oh, my God! Oh, my God! <laughs> um, Yay! Yeah! This is so fun. I, I, so some of them I, I cannot tell you. Um, Am I think surely already knows hers. Yes, I do. Am already knows hers. Um, I don't. And tell us spoilers. Is Am let this whole town hear your knuckles crack? Because that's on her playlist. It's. It is not. Am's Am's is um a quote from the Bell Jar about oh, yeah. um the the fig the 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 quote about the figs um and yeah we we looking that up at in... lots of different futures yeah yeah one of the episodes is we've the definitely after that it is something that I actually kind of quite comfortingly felt a lot when we started making this podcast and much less so now that I'm sort of a grown up question mm-hmm. mark about um feeling this kind of pressure about what it means to do important things yeah 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 Hmm. and um but but notably the the quote that i chose for delphi is in all caps lock if the zoo bans me for hollering at the animals, <laughs> I will face God and walk backwards into hell. Backwards into hell. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> thank you, Drill, for really... writing this stuff to the internet. At, thank you. At, at I, Drill, thank you. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant but I feel like that's... to wrap up on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can you tell us the other ones <laughs> yeah. now, though? Um, I can't. I definitely can't tell you, Rainers. Um, can you tell me secretly, I... Rainers? Uh, no. <laughs> Don't like that. <laughs> um, well, I mean, That's a I, I can and I can and I could, but it feels, it doesn't, I, it wouldn't actually be a spoiler, but it feels like it yeah. might be. It's, maybe, right. maybe we'll it's not. Maybe you, it's we'll not. find you a drill tweet. <laughs> do you, do you want to hear, do you want to hear them? Um, only if you, if you want to share them. I don't. Yeah, okay, yeah, I will, I will. 
Um, so for Morgan's, I've I've got two, but the one I prefer, and I don't even know where it's from anymore. The one I prefer is maybe it's Night Vale. Um, the past is gone and cannot harm you anymore. And while the future is fast coming for you, it always flinches first and settles in as the gentle present. That's definitely Night Vale. Yeah, that's why. That's why. And then Raina is Raina is I is the chorus of Little Lion Man, uh, by Mumford and Sons. Yeah. So it was not your fault, but mine. I know why you can't yeah. say that. And it was your heart on the line. I really effed it up Please. this time. Messed it up. <laughs> that didn't I, my dear? The radio edit is messed it up this time. Messed it up. It is. Oh. It's messed it up on the radio edit. <laughs> I really messed it up this time, didn't I? Um. Yeah. Yeah, I won't give you Rainer any more quite messy. about Delphi. That's maybe a note to end on. Yeah. Um, we... so yeah. Thank you for joining us, everybody. I do want to end the episode just on a big old thank you for everybody mm. that has been listening so far. Uh, you're all great and super uber mega cool, as you hear me say every yeah. episode. Yeah. Um, uh, and also, and like... Res- yeah like i mean obviously we love this podcast and we would you know keep making it no matter what but i think if it if like two people were listening i would be like kind of disheartened so it's really nice that you're all here and listening and engaging with us and talking to us about the podcast and are excited about it as we are that's really nice thanks guys yeah yeah and there are loads of ways that you can uh show your support hashtag promo uh, <laughs> um, yeah essentially do it. Do it. there are so many ways um we love our patrons um who are nate scott jones i'm gonna have doing this yes. off my memory now nate scott jones ouroboros uh Woo. ek green and Woo. yeah i don't know what the patreon name is but i know in the discord they're wheels <laughs> it's um it's piers wilkinson it's lightning mcqueen obviously um they are super awesome we are um jazzing up the patreon a little bit this week in fact uh so if yeah. you're checking that out i believe i haven't actually checked fact checked this yet uh, i've just been told it on the grapevine but i do believe patreon are beginning a kind of trial thing where you can try out patreon for free for a certain amount of time um we're so do go check it out there's loads of cool bonus content that we're going to be making and we're putting on there all the time um of course we still have our supporter acast link open for donations if you want to just do a one-time donation it really really helps us run the podcast um but of course uh, there are loads of ways you can support without money as well and the best way you can do that is to leave a review uh we've got loads of lovely reviews honestly it makes my just month when i read a nice review that i haven't mm. read before because uh, i can't yeah. like i don't think there's any way to like get for me to get like notifications of when someone leaves a review no. so i always forget about it and then i go and look at it and i find like two or three more that i haven't read and i'm like oh my gosh oh also made, like so nice. if you if you don't want to leave a review like tell people about the podcast tell mm. your friends tell your nan tell your neighbor because that's another way that you can help us grow is to get us into more ear holes. Um, yeah. More Please ear don't holes say ear holes. Thank you. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Have an ace week. Bye. And happy ace week, 2023. Happy ace week. Woo!
Deck of Many Aces is Am Chisholm, Chloe Elliott, Iriel Evans, Katie McLeod, and me, Ellie Webster. Many thanks to our patrons, Nate Scott Jones, Ouroboros, EK Green, Space Ben, Callum D, Ebad, KP, and still a piece of garbage. If you want to join them or find out more about what different rewards we offer, head to patreon.com forward slash deck of many aces. If you'd like to leave us a review, please do so on the podcast platform of your choice. If your podcast platform doesn't have a review system, then you can use our Podchaser page. We read every review and it means the world to us. If you want to chat to us on socials, it's at Deck of Many Aces on pretty much every social media you can think of. Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Blue Sky, Hive. We've got all of them. Give us a bell on any of those. Or if you want to send us an email the old-fashioned way, it's deckofmanyaces at gmail.com. If you love the music from the show, you can check it out. It's on Chloe Elliott's Bandcamp. You can also search for any of the original soundtrack albums just by searching Deck of Many Aces in most music streaming platforms. If you want to find us elsewhere, there's lots of places on the internet you can do so. You can find both Am and Chloe on uh, Rendezvous with Destiny, our sister podcast. Am also runs a podcast with Will called Date Night Drive-In. And Chloe can be found on Twitch at Chloe underscore with the flow. As for me, I've not got much out on the internet these days, but if you would like to support me or would like to hear more about what I'm doing in the creative sphere, have a little look at the episode description and click the sign up to my mailing list link. I'll never spam your inbox, it's usually an email every month or two just to kind of let you know what I'm doing, what projects are in your area or online that I'm getting involved with and how you can support me as an artist. If you'd like to support the podcast, obviously the Patreon we've mentioned earlier. If you just want to support us with a one-off donation, you can go to our Acast supporter link. That's supporter.acast.com forward slash deck of many aces with dashes between the words. That's all from me. I love you. Have an ace week. Bye.